Today I'm going to share about God who has a reputation of raising up those who raise up others. Family, let's pray. Family Father, um, I thank you for this word that you place on my heart, God. I thank you, God, um, for using me as a vessel, God. I pray, just as Nick just said, that, God, every heart would be open to receive, God. Lord, I pray, God, that you just stir up the gifting, stir up the anointing that's on the inside of each and every one of us to accept the call that you are going to give today, the commission that you're going to give today, God. Lord, speak through me, God. And that your people, God, would be edified, would be encouraged, God, to carry out your gospel in whatever way, in whatever area of influence that you've placed them in. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many people feel like God has given them an assignment or a call on their life? By raise of hands, how many people believe that God wants to use them? I didn't see every hand go up, and I wish that I had. Because if you were alive and you were on this earth, God has a plan for your life. As many of us know, we are in a season, a series right now that expounds on the reputation of God. And if you're taking notes, again, today's topic is going to be God has a reputation of raising up those who raise up others. This won't be a message where I give you steps or tools of application. Rather, today I'm going to give you a word of encouragement that shows the character of God. And when I'm done, I'm going to commission you to respond to his character and the will of God for your life. Today's message is based in Esther chapter 8. But before I get there, I want to give you a very detailed uh, background of the story regarding Esther. So the story begins with the king, Xerxes. Now, if you read in the King James or New King James Version, his name is Azuerus, but we customarily here read from the New, excuse me, the NIV Version. So I'm going to use that translation of his name. So in Esther chapter one, we see King Xerxes hosting a party. Eventually, he ends up in a drunken state and he calls for his wife, Queen Vashti, to be brought to him so that he can show off her beauty to the people. Queen Vashti refuses, and so he consults his nobles as what he should do, and they tell him that he should remove her as queen because they didn't want to set a precedent for women to dishonor and despise their husbands. So they decide to get rid of her, and they hold, um, they decide to hold, like some people call it a pageant, but basically they bring a group of virgins before him, and they put them through a long, extensive 12-month process of beautification and purification. Then they would bring the women before the king, and he would decide which one pleased him the most. Here enters Queen Esther. She's a young woman whose parents had died, so her cousin raised her as his own daughter. Esther is taken to the palace with these other young women, and she's a virgin like the rest of them, but no one knows her origin or her nationality. Esther, as she's there in the palace, she finds herself having favor with everyone. And eventually, she has favor with the king, too. So she becomes queen. He selected her. When she becomes queen, her cousin Mordecai, who had raised her, decides that he's going to hang out at the gate. I'm guessing this was probably to make sure she's okay, but the Bible doesn't really tell us why he hung out at the gate. But as he's doing so, he overhears two guards who are planning to kill the king. Esther tells the king what the men are planning to do, and the men are killed. This was written in a book and eventually would be used 
in the story. So here's where the trouble begins. After this incident, King Xerxes point, appoints a man named Haman to be higher than all his other nobles. Haman decides that he wants people to bow down to him, but Mordecai chooses that he's not going to do that. So in turn, the royal officials at the gate, they tell Haman, hey, this Jew refuses to bow to you. Haman gets mad. And not only does he decide that he's going to kill Mordecai, he's going to just kill all of his people, which are the Jews. Mind you, no one knows that Queen Esther is a Jew. These people, he says to the king, these people have different customs. They don't follow your laws. Let's destroy them. So the king says yes, and he gives Haman the authority to do whatever he'd like with the Jews. So at this time, a decree is signed and it's sent out. When Mordecai and the other Jews find out about this decree to destroy all the Jews, they cry, they mourn, they fast. Word gets back to Queen Esther what's happening, and this causes her distress. Mordecai then sends word and asks her to go before the king and plead with him for her people. She sends word back to him and says she cannot go before the king because anyone who goes before the king unsummoned can be killed. So Mordecai basically tells her that she will not escape if the rest of the Jews are killed. You're not going to be the one person to escape this just because you live in the king's palace. So she has to make a decision. If you remain silent, God's going to raise up another way to save the Jews. What if you were put in this position for such a time as this to save your people? What if God wants you to deliver these people? God is never actually mentioned in the text, but we can see God's hand moving all throughout the story of Esther. So again, Esther's got an issue. She's now worried about either her people being killed or that if she goes before the king, that she can be killed. So she calls for a fast, and all the Jews, including her attendants, they fast for three days, no food, no water. When the fast is over, she says, I will go against the law, and I will go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. On day three of the fast, she goes before the king, and he actually holds out his scepter to her, which is a sign of welcome. There is God's favor. He asks her what she wants, and she calls for a banquet between this man, Haman, who wanted to kill the Jews, and the king. But the night before this banquet is to take place, King Xerxes cannot sleep. So he goes to the book where they wrote about all of the things that were happening, and he realizes that this man, Mordecai, had saved his life by uncovering a plot to kill him. He asks, what has been done for this man? And they say nothing. So he decides that he wants to honor Mordecai. So he goes to Haman and he says, what should be done for this man who has honored the king and that the king wants to honor him? Haman, being arrogant, thinks it's himself. So he goes to the king and says, oh, you should do all of these lavish things. So the king says, okay, go and get Mordecai and do all of the things you just said. At this point, he's probably really embarrassed in realizing, uh, I'm in a pretty bad situation. Haman realizes that his plan to kill Mordecai is about to backfire. Mind you, 
no one still knows that Esther is a Jew. So Esther and King Xerxes, they go um, to the banquet with Haman, and the king asks her, what is it that you want from me? And she says, to save my life and the life of my people. There is a man who has decided that he wants to kill and annihilate all of us. And the king gets very outraged and upset, and he says, who is this man that's, that's planning to kill you and your people? And she says, Haman. The king is outraged. And see, Haman had been plotting all along to kill Mordecai. He had even set up a pole at his home to impale him. But when the king gets outraged, he sends for Haman to be impaled on the very pole that he has set up. Won't God fight for you? So that was a long intro, but you have to understand the favor that God gave Esther and Mordecai. Vashti was removed and Esther gained the favor above all the other young women. She becomes queen. Mordecai, he's at the right place at the right time to discover a plan to kill the king. So not only does he find favor, she does as well. Even after she did the three-day fast, God gave her favor. She could have been killed. It was against the law to go before the king, but God gave her favor. So now to our text. Esther chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over at Haman's estate. Esther began, again, pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, which he had advised against the Jews. Then the king ex extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she rose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she says... And if he regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. This text shows us that God will give you favor and authority to help those that you're called to. King Xerxes didn't just give her favor. He gave her the right to overturn the decree against the Jews. He gave her authority when he gave her his signet ring to sign the document on his behalf. God will allow you to go, on, go before other people on his behalf. God has given you an assignment whether you know it or not. He has allowed your story to be written and aligned in a way that positions you to help someone else. When you begin to move in that, when you walk in your God-given authority, you can accomplish tasks for the kingdom of God. 
chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. At once the royal secretaries were summoned. On the 23rd day of the third month, of the month of Savan, they wrote all they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the straps and governors and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province in the language of people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted carriers who rode fast horses especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. There is protection when you submit to God. Not only did the king give them authority to accomplish the task, he was bringing deliverance to the Jews. The decree allowed them to protect themselves from any of their enemies. When you follow God, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face obstacles. It doesn't mean that it's not going to get hard. But God will watch over you and go with you in the midst of those obstacles. Verses 15 through 17 read, And when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness, joy, and gladness, and honor. In every province, in every city, to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because of the fear the Jews had seized them. God had a bigger plan. Many were converted because of the victory that Jews had. If you actually read on into chapter 9, the Jews had so much victory over their enemies. They were overtaking anything and anyone that came against them. The decree didn't necessarily stop the attacks, but it gave them victory. And because of it, more people were being added to the kingdom. God raised up a man named Mordecai and his niece, a woman named Esther, and put them in position to help others. God has a reputation of raising up those who will raise up others. There may be challenges, there may be conflicts, but you have to learn to lean on him. He will use someone else if you don't. The Bible says in Matthew 25, actually this was Jesus, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The New King James Version of that text says, The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. There is someone that you have the capacity to help. God has put each and every one of us in a place of ministry. What is ministry? It simply means to serve. You don't need a platform. You don't need a stage. You don't need to go stand all out on a sidewalk and preach the gospel. There are people in your life today that you can impact. Jesus, he was in a position to heal the sick, to make the blind see, to raise the dead, to feed thousands with very little. He used the gifts that God had given him to bless others. But God also used him because he had a bigger plan, just like Esther and Mordecai. It wasn't just for the sake of miracles. The people learned more about God through Christ. And ultimately, he became the vessel through which mankind would find eternal salvation and be able to walk with God themselves. Rahab, she was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. God used her to hide the spies that were checking out the promised land. Yes, she was a Gentile. Yes, she was a harlot. But no one ever focuses on that when they talk about her. God used her, although she was a prostitute. Some may say that her hiding the spies was honorable. Some may say that she was just trying to save her bloodline. But either way, God was able to use her. When she saved her bloodline, she had a son named Boaz. Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. And if you read on throughout their lineage, it led to the lineage of Jesus. Rahab put her faith into action and was used by God. And I want to let you know that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. God knew before she was ever born that he was going to use her to help the spies and save her bloodline that would eventually lead to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we can live however we want and expect God to be pleased. But what I am saying is that when you give God a willing yes, when you posture your heart to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. He will call you and use you for his plan. Joseph, he was a young man who had a dream that he'd one day be over his family. This, on top of him being his father's favorite, caused his brother to hate him. He had to go through some hard things, but God put him in position to save his family. They tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He was lied on by Pharaoh's wife. He was forgotten about in jail. 
But when it was time for him to be used, his heart was ready for the call. He was willing. He recognized that what others meant for evil, God was using it for his good. The Bible tells us that every step of the way, he had favor. God will use you, and it doesn't come without obstacles, but he will indeed use you. Moses, he was born in a time where Hebrew boys were being killed due to Pharaoh's attempt to stop the growth of the Israelite population. His mother puts him in a basket and puts him in a river, and he was discovered by, of all people, Pharaoh's wife. He was put in position. He grew up in the Egyptian palace. That wasn't his real family, but God placed him there to eventually bring freedom to his own people. Eventually, he tries to save some of these people prematurely, and instead of them being grateful, they turned on him, so he ran for his life. God called him and spoke to him through a burning bush, and he was concerned that he wasn't equipped But eventually he gave God a willing yes, and God used him to bring the people out of Egypt. If we go back to Jesus, he was born in a manger, rejected, doubted, threatened, tortured, and eventually crucified. It was painful, but he stayed the course, and he fulfilled the will of God, and he impacted those he came in contact with. Just like these people, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for each and every one of you to impact someone. It doesn't have to be grand. You don't have to change the world. But by you saying yes to God and helping others, you will make a difference. Your gifts, your talents, your journey has equipped you for what God wants to do, how he wants to raise you up to raise up someone else. For those who feel like They're the ones that need the help. I want to give you a quick word of encouragement that help is on the way. When there's a need, when there's a need and God sees your pain, he sees your tears, he hears your prayers, he will answer. The children of Israel, God sent David a young man who had a zeal for God to slay the giant that the very army was afraid of. He delivered them from the hand of their enemy. Ruth, she was a childless Moabite widow. God sent Boaz to redeem her after she had lost her husband. She decided to stick with her mother-in-law to serve her mother-in-law's God. And God showed himself faithful by giving her a husband to care for her. And there became Boaz. Uh, There there was Boaz helping her. The woman at the well, she had never met Jesus a day in her life. But he told her all about her history. When she left his presence, she was renewed in her mindset. She was redeemed. He had commissioned her that despite her past, that she could live holy. Whatever you're going through, God is able He will put a person, a thing, people in your life to guide you, to encourage you, to in some way be a blessing. When it looks like there's no help, when it looks like your answers are going, your prayers are going unanswered, know that help is on the way. He is raising up someone who will help raise you up. He will use you. 
Each and every one of us, he'll use you right where you are, in your place of influence. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be on your job. It could be someone that you meet at a grocery store. Maybe that looks like mentoring someone, giving somebody a ride or carpooling. Maybe it's assisting them financially, donating your time. Maybe it's feeding the homeless, visiting a nursing home, sitting with the elderly. Maybe you're a teenager and says, say, how can I help? Babysitting for a family that needs that. Amen. Maybe it's shoveling snow. <laughs> Maybe it's shoveling snow or raking leaves for a disabled or elderly neighbor or family member. Maybe it's giving up some time to help someone when you could be doing something else. Maybe it's pouring into someone who's headed down the wrong path versus leaving them to their own devices. Maybe it looks like showing the love of Christ and even praying for that family member who's hard to deal with. All of us have been given gifts, talents, and strengths, and God wants to use it. You can be the vessel used in their testimony. So here's my commission. When God puts you in a place to help those who cannot help themselves, will you give him a yes? Will you be willing to come alongside those who cannot come alongside themselves? Will you ask God for wisdom and where he has raised you up and how he wants to use you to raise up another? God's looking for a willing vessel. All you need is to give him your yes. The option is yours. But what happens when you say no? I remember a few years ago, I was at a library and there was a guy. He was older, a little scruffy looking, you know, clothes not really put together. His fingernails were painted. And God said, go tell that man I love him. And I was sitting there like, God, I'm not telling him I love him. You love him. Like, he's going to look at me like I'm crazy. I was so fearful of how he would perceive me that I wasn't willing to obey the will of God. Literally for years, every time I would think about that situation or I'd go to that library, I would feel bad because I never knew where that man was. I could have been the person standing between him and a life-altering decision. I could have been the person that encouraged him and, and, and reminded him that he's not out here alone. When God tells you to do something, there's a reason. Get yourself out of the way. I've also been in a situation where, actually it was earlier this year, I met a young lady and I had no idea why God was speaking to me about her. And I reached out and I said, hey, you know, I this is what I'm sensing. And she was like, how did you know those things? And, and I began to tell her that God was calling her back to himself. Don't know this girl. Don't know anything about her. I just shared what God was putting on my heart about her. And as I began to talk to her, she began to cry. And she said that it was confirmation. I've also been that person on the receiving end where I'm on the way to church and I'm praying about something. And literally someone prays over me or speaks to me. Not, I didn't even ask for prayer this time in this situation. But someone walked up to me. Actually, let me just tell you the full, the full story. I'm on my way to church. 
and I'm praying about something. And at the end of service, I'm just standing there and I have no idea why I'm standing there. And I'm like, on my way to church, I'm crying like, God, like, please let me know that you hear my prayers. And after church, people are still worshiping and I'm just standing there and I'm like, God, why am I still standing here? I don't feel led to leave. Someone walks up to me and says, hey, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And he, they began to pray and every single thing that he prayed was every single thing I prayed in that car. And it was encouraging to me because it let me know that God heard me. What if he had been disobedient? And actually, he was getting ready to be. He told me, actually, I wasn't going to say anything, but because you were still standing there, I was obedient. He was like, I felt like you hear from God for yourself. You didn't need me, but I did need him to be obedient to God. Moses he was someone that, yes, he obeyed God, but there were instances that he didn't. God told him to speak to the rock the second time, and instead he struck it. And because of that, he never made it into the promised land. There are consequences when we don't obey the will of God. Jonah, he was called to go to Nineveh to give the people a message from God. He decided out of his own selfishness that he wasn't going to go. And he ended up in the belly of a fish. He realized in that moment that he could not run from God. We don't want to be like Moses, not making it to something that God has, has for us or missing out on being a blessing to someone else. We don't want to be like Jonah in unfortunate situations because we didn't heed the voice of God. God is calling you to give him a yes. Again, it looks different for each and every one of us, but God has a reputation of raising up those who will raise up others. Will you let him use you in the life of someone else? The journey won't always be easy. It may come with obstacles, but when you lean on God and you trust in him, he will use you. We're gonna have a couple from here in our community who are going to share their testimony about how God used them, how he empowered them, how when they gave him a yes, he raised them up to raise up others. Luke and Summer Shively. Yeah. Hello, Mercy Road Northwest. It's so good to see everyone today. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving, and we're so excited to, to share today. If we haven't met, I am Luke Scheibling. and this is my wife, Summer, and we have uh, a baby on the way as well, which we're <laughs> super excited about. And yeah, we just want to share our story of uh, serv service and how that's impacted us in others around us. And our story starts all the way back in 2017. It's when I gave my life to, to Christ and I started getting connected to a church. And their biggest need was childcare and kids ministry, which is a lot of churches <laughs> needs. And it was the need. And so I stepped in the gap there. And that's when I first just started to have a heart for children and service and uh, it's just it really impacted my life greatly. Um, and then, yeah, I'll let you tell your, your story as well. So from a young age, I felt a call to love um, 
quote unquote orphans. Um, as a child, I thought maybe I'd be in a remote village in Africa serving in an orphanage. Um, and more recently around college time, I spent a lot of time in Haiti as a nurse and was even planning to move down there. Um, but God actually brought that calling right to our backyard through loving kids and partnering, partnering with a ministry that my aunt started in 2021 called Family Hope. Um, we weren't exactly maybe the candidates that you would have chosen. We had just been married for six months. We had no kids of our own, um, not exactly qualified. <laughs> um, and for those of you who have never heard of Family Hope before, um, the closest thing that people kind of equate it to is foster care. And even some of our close friends are like, oh, hey, like how's fostering going? We're not foster parents, but that's an awesome way to serve. Um, the cool and life-changing thing about Family Hope is that it actually seeks to prevent kids from ever entering the foster care system um, and to create support systems around them so that instead of turning to a welfare system or the government, they can turn to people that they know and trust um, for help. And Family Hope, just to give a little definition straight from their website, is a Christian nonprofit operating through a team of trained and vetted volunteers who offer temporary hosting of children, connections and guidance for parents, and a bridge to family stability. There are so many ways you can uh, volunteer with this organization and serve in general, uh, but we have uh, decided to, uh, for the past two years, partner with the organization and temporarily host kids uh, in our home. And so what that practically looks like is in the past two years, we've hosted 13 kids in our home all the way from really a newborn, like a one day old <laughs> baby, which was a little terrifying, uh, all the way up to, to six years old. And those hostings have ranged from uh, one day all the way up to uh, two months where we uh, hosted uh, an 18 month girl uh, while her uh, mom was working on finding daycare for her. So uh, that's what it's kind of practically looked like. And as you can imagine, as we're talking to our friends, family, strangers <laughs> about this, we hear a, a lot of different things. Some of the typical phrases we hear is, you know, what you're doing is so amazing and, and God is working, you know, in, in such a powerful way. Um, but I could never do that. That's what we often hear. You know, that's amazing but I could never do that. And I think that's where uh, really uh, you're missing out <laughs> on, on kind of what God wants to do through you. And it's as simple as saying yes, uh, even if you're not qualified, <laughs> even if you're newlyweds and have never, in my case, changed a diaper in your life. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but simply saying yes, uh, God will use you. God will equip you. He will give you the strength, the endurance uh, that you need uh, through those uh, sometimes sleepless nights and, and, and tough times. Uh, God will definitely meet you where you're at. Um, and it's our job to say yes and to be obedient to, to his call on our life. Um, something we wanted to make sure we communicated is that there's nothing special about us. Um, we aren't called to anything different than you are. Um, I think we all are simply called to love and serve others in whatever context God puts us in. Um, and that brought to mind James 1.27, which says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
And I think we can kind of boil that down to, I think we're all called in some way to care for the vulnerable around us. Um, maybe before you sign up for a volunteer experience or join a ministry, you think, oh, this is going to take so much out of me. You think of what you're going to have to give up or sacrifice, um, which is true. There is a cost to saying yes. Um, but something that we have been surprised by through Family Hope and other other volunteer opportunities is how much we've received, so much more than we have expected. Um, for us personally, the way these kids have loved us, um, how we've been invited into these families' lives through birthday parties, special person's day at school, and even through um, one of the moms um, going through a discipleship group here with us at Mercy Road. Um, and then even just the support we've received from our friends and family, from meals being dropped off, helping with childcare when we had something else going on, or um, providing supplies. We for sure have not been doing this alone. Yeah, and as we we, we wrap up, my biggest encouragement to, to you, to anyone who's uh, physically here in the building or just you know watching and listening online is to, to say yes <laughs> in, in the midst of fear, nerves, and, and just uh, sometimes the, the terrifying uh, just feeling of taking the first step. Uh, it, it's as simple as saying yes and taking a step in faith. And um, there's going to be people around you uh, who, who come around you. We can't, we can't do this alone. We've had so many people uh, here in this community uh, and our family, our friends who have just provided uh, clothes and provided food and provided childcare <laughs> while we have things going on. And it's just been such a blessing. And um, yeah, just like Raven talked about, uh, God's going to provide people in your life uh, as you say yes to also uh, help you. Um, so yeah, it's my encouragement is to, to say yes, uh, to just to see how God will use you. So maybe for you, um, you don't feel like caring for children is, is what God has for you. And that's okay. Not everybody is called to Family Hope, the specific ministry that we have been. Um, maybe it's partnering with a ministry here at Mercy Road, like Indie Hygiene Hub or Showers of Hope, or maybe it's something completely different. Um, but what I know is that God isn't calling you to the sidelines. Um, just like Raven talked about with Esther's story, how she stood in the gap for her people. Um, God has something that he wants you to say yes to. God has people that he wants you to stand in the gap for. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just going to pray real quick. Um, Alva, thank you for just this opportunity to be here to worship, to encourage those around us, God. Um, I'm just praying now for uh, your voice to speak to everybody in this room, God. Maybe there are people here who who want to get off the sidelines but don't know what you have for them, God. Um, I just pray for courage. I just pray for um, just a yes, God, even if it's a feeble, shaky steps, God. Um, just so nervous, God, but that, that they would give you your yes, their yes, God. Um, and we know that you will come alongside and equip us, God. So thank you for, for doing that, God. We know we can trust you. Amen.